This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you on as this week we interviewed uh, a gentleman named Paul Scope, and this was a fun interview. Uh, his book called How to Solve Any Problem in Life. That's a, that's a large uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big book to solve any problem in life. But after having a discussion with Paul in this podcast, it was great to dive deep to see that the elements of problems and how we can work through things, uh, you know, and to look at, you know, to work through different things that show up like a dysfunctional romantic relationship, uh, you know, and things like that of how we can, you know, improve our relationships, how we can heal from illnesses, and so much more. This was really a valuable episode. I really highly, I'm excited to release and share with you. Uh, before we dive deep, though, Paul Cope is an author, an entrepreneur, a coach, and a former corporate lawyer. He's transformed his life after finding himself in his mid-30s, depressed and suicidal, despite achieving everything we were told should make us happy. He tore everything down, spending tens of thousands of pounds, ten thousands of hours, and all his energy dedicated to finding the root causes of why he felt unfulfilled despite everything he achieved. Luckily, he figured out the secrets behind all of our problems in life. He coached people around the world to change their lives using what he discovered through his personal experiences working with the therapist, coaches, and learning from all corners of the globe. Paul has now written a seminal book to shake up the personal development world and help you transform your life. No matter what problem you face in his book, how to solve any problem in life, the root causes of everything will help you overcome it. 
So this, like I said, it was a great interview, dove deep. He shared some stories of how he got into us and so much more. And uh, I'm excited to share this with you. So with no further ado, here is Paul Cope. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, have you on. I saw the name of your book and man, is it extensive for the listeners. 160,000 words, you said, 650 pages. That's it. Wow, that's like a Bible there. So I, I can't wait to try to just pick a little bit of what's going on in there uh, as we go through. But before we get into that, my listeners always know I like to ask this question, getting right into things. Paul, can you share with us a little bit? How did you get into what you're doing today? What's the story? What's your, what did you go through to get to that point? How did you get to the point of writing a book? I mean, I wrote two books and, the, and, and I can add those together and it still doesn't hit how many pages you've written um, um, of how uh, you got to where you are today. So as, I'm, I'm excited to be here as well. By the way, it's, it's, I, I love the, the concept of your show. So I think it'll, it'll resonate the stuff we talk about should resonate well with your audience as you can as you just summarized with a book that's 650 pages long as you can imagine my backstory is quite long as well so the the, the shortest version of the story or shorter version of the story is when i was going right back to when i was a little kid i was i was two or three years old i used to i was a very quiet introvert little boy and i used to love playing with toy cars i had a big bucket in in my mum and dad's house full of these little toy cars and i would play with them all day long and one day I was sitting in the back of my dad's car and we were driving somewhere and I would sit behind him and I'd pretend to drive the car behind where he sat. And we stopped, stopped at some traffic lights and alongside us at the lights pulled up a black Porsche sports car. And I said to my dad, and it, the, the, the family story goes, this became sort of family folklore. I couldn't speak properly when I was, when I was a little boy because I had a big sister and she would speak for me. And I said to my dad, whose is that car that... And he said, it's our lawyers. But in the UK, we have two different types of lawyers. We have barristers that go to court and we have solicitors who do like outside of the court. And he said, it's our solicitors. And I said, oh, I want to be a solicitor then. And the, the running joke in the family was I couldn't even pronounce the word solicitor when I was two or three years old. But I'm from a very normal working class background. So the, one of the children in the family pronouncing that he wanted to be a lawyer and go to university and go to law school was met with greater claim by the whole family and I remember I remember going home that day and my dad saying to my mum listen to what our Paul said he wanted to be tell your mum tell your mum and I said oh I want to be a solicitor and she was so happy so inside I always go back to this now as a two or three year old boy you don't know what a solicitor is all I know then is he drives a nice car that's what I want but every time I say to someone I want to be a solicitor they react with this applause sometimes and big smiles and celebrations so I went right the way through my school life and I was one of those annoying kids in school who always knew what they wanted to be because whenever anyone said to me what do you want to be I said I want to be a, I want to be a solicitor I want to be a lawyer and um, and this carried on all the way through I was pretty well behaved and got good grades in school went to university was the first person in my family to go to university and it was halfway through university I hit my first stumbling block in the whole adventure because a, a big law firm sent someone in to talk to us to say, look, this is once you've finished your degree and you've been to law school, this is how you get a job at a big law firm. And one of the things they said was, you'll be asked a question. We always ask one question. And that question is, why do you want to be a lawyer? And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, that, that's easy. I've got my, I've had my answer to that for 19 years. 
And he, he paused, and I'll never forget the pause, and he looked at the room and he said, there's one answer we won't accept. And that answer is, you've always wanted to be one. We need to know why you want to be one. And in that moment, it was like someone smacked me around the face with a bat because my head started spinning. I remember going home thinking, I don't know why I wanted to be one. And that's when I started to first unpick this story and I realized if in the car that day, my dad had said to me, the person who drives that car is a doctor, I'd be in medical school now. If he'd have said to me, the, car, the person who drives that car is an electrician, I'd be an electrician now. It, what, if, if my dad had said to me, it doesn't matter what job you do, son, you can buy a nice car if you save up some money when you get older. My whole world would have been different. And it led to me down lots of different paths and lots of doubt. And one thing led to another. I had a talk with an, with an uncle at the time who gave me this peck talk where he said, nobody likes their job, son, so you might as well do something that makes you money. And at the time, that made sense to me because I didn't know anybody who liked their job. And I just carried on and I did what I always did. I got good grades. I got my degree. I ended up working for some of the biggest and best law firms in the world. Quickly became disillusioned with that. And at 29, set up my own law firm because when I was a child, I was actually quite entrepreneurial. But back then, there was no Shark Tank on TV and there were no entrepreneurs online to follow because there was no online when I was a kid. Um, and I, So at 29, set up my own law firm. And within a few years, I'd grown that. And I'd created this life that to the outside world was everything we were ever told we should do. Everybody else would have thought I was absolutely nailing life. I was, I got to about, this is about 30, when I was about 32 years old, 33 years old. I was married to a beautiful woman. I owned a city centre law firm with glass walls and incredible international clients. I owned multiple properties that I rented out to people. I drove a flash car. I was making loads of money. And at the peak of that, when everybody else would have looked in from the outside and said, I'm absolutely smashing it, I was at my most depressed and suicidal and planning to kill myself, basically, thinking of ways I could end my life without it looking like it would be suicide. Because that, I remember thinking that, but that would hurt my family less. It would make sure my insurance paid out. This is how much thought I was putting into it. And, and life slowly got worse until I reached a point, different things happened. And I just reached a point where I thought, there must be more than this. Like, if I'm planning on killing myself, surely there's other things I can try before I go to that extreme. And I just decided to rip it all down and start again. I had, at the time, I had health problems. I had, I was miserable in my marriage. I was miserable in my company. Um, even though I was making loads of money, I could never keep the money. I had all of these different problems in my life and I suffered from, I used to have outbursts of rage, sort of suppressed anger that would that would just explode once a year or something like that. And I just reached a point where I thought, I'm going to rip it all down and I'm going to start again because I want to figure out everything that's wrong in my life and, and why that why it is the way it is. And I started working with a therapist and I started working with coaches in different parts of the world. And I spent tens of thousands of pounds and thousands of hours basically ripping everything down and figuring out what was the root cause of why I felt the way I did, even though on the surface I'd achieved everything I was meant to achieve. And that led me to where I am today, which is completely transformed. I, I actually refer to an old life and a new life. It, my old life feels like a completely different person now. And what led to where I am with the book was about 18 months ago, I thought, well, I've learned all this stuff from different places. And one of my skills, even as a lawyer, 
was the ability to bring complex information together and then summarize it to people in a way that most people understand. And I thought, I wonder if what I've learned and has changed my life could help others. So I started coaching people and I've ended up over the past 18 months coaching people all around the world, different genders, nationalities, sexualities, people with problems of all different types. And the work that I do with these people has transformed all of their lives in the same way that mine has transformed, which led me to, to me writing the book because I wanted, I'm so passionate about what I've learned and what I've done. Um, and what I've seen other people do, that I wanted to get the information out to as many people as I, as I possibly could in a way that, that I hope resonates more with people than a lot of the traditional psycho, like psychology, personal development type stuff that doesn't necessarily work for a lot of people. I love that story. Um, I, can, I can relate into some ways of, of, of your story and my story in life. Do you feel, so when I'm, I'm hearing your story and I'm thinking of this, thinking of the process, right? So... I always like that, you know, when, when people like, I, I went through something like that too, where I thought, oh, this is what I have to do to make money. This is how I think it, this is what success looks like. And this and all these things. And then I got there and then I was just empty. Like it was, there was, there was not that like, okay, I thought there would be more than this. I thought I would be happier. I thought there was gonna be all these other things and there wasn't. Yeah. When for you and your journey to, you know, break that all down to really understand that, was it, really what you wanted in your life or is it a program or because um, sometimes I, I mean I've, I've done some work in psychology where it's like sometimes as children we want to please our parents and sometimes we carry that into adult life to a certain degree um, and or sometimes it's unconscious where we just don't realize it anymore we're just we're going after something and we think it's us but really it's what your parents thought was great. So you saw the car, you tied the car to saying, hey, look at that car, right? My dad used to do the same thing. Look at this person. They're very well financially established. Look at them. Look what they have. Look at their house. Look at this, you know, and, and the way his energy would change and how he talked about them, that's what I heard and what I picked up on. So then I was like, well, I have to do that. Well, I, when I did my work, it was more of not only did I have to do that to what he thinks is he's telling me what success looks like, but also to earn my dad's respect and get his, you know, his more of his love and all those type of things, I have to become that person or else. And um, did you, did you kind of have some sort of like a going back and looking at things kind of had that scenario where you're like, Oh, this isn't me. This is not what I really wanted. Or um, am I just blowing all hot smoke here? <laughs> no, absolutely the same. And, and to be honest, it's, it's the same for the vast majority of people. And something I, I'm always keen to stress is, it's, it's actually nobody's fault. This isn't, this often isn't something that, and some, don't get me wrong, some parents do do it deliberately. I've seen parents who force their kids down a certain path. Um, but for the most part, that's not what happens at all. It's all subconscious and people don't even realize that they are passing down this programming. And it's a combination of things. It's a combination of what our parents have learned. And it's a combination of the, the societies we've built. So we've built these societies that value certain things. And then naturally that, sort of permeates everybody's families as well so my I've, I've often said my mom and dad would still say this nobody ever said to me I had to be a lawyer that that was never said out loud and when you mention programming something I talk about a lot with in the work I do in the, and the book I've written is programming experiences we have as children which for the most part are subconscious so whilst nobody ever said to me you should be a lawyer 
when you say when when a child says, and I've I've witnessed this. I don't have kids, but I've got a niece and nephew, and I've watched the same thing happen with them. And they, I, I'm not sure they know how fortunate they are to have me fighting their corner already while they're teenagers, because. I'll, you know, when I said I'm a lawyer, I want to be a lawyer as a child. If, as I said before, if my dad had had, had the the training I've now had, he'd have been able to say to me, "Oh, you don't need to be a lawyer, son. You can do whatever you want in life. We can you know, talk about a car later on." But because they hadn't had that training, because we live in a society that values financial success and um, certain professions, their their reaction of so much joy and pl- and pleasure made me feel good. So what I would do then is I, I talk again a lot about um, the human needs we're meeting all of the time subconsciously. Well, one of our needs, or a huge need, in, is for love and connection. Well, if, if I say the words, I want to be a lawyer, and I feel like I get more love from the people around me, I'm going to keep saying those words. And when I'm three years old, I don't even know what those words mean. They're just noises. But it's like anything else, and that's what forms so much of our personality in our childhood, which then passes right the way up to our adult lives. So when you talk about you know, becoming someone that we didn't really want to be, for the most part, when I'm talking to anybody who is less than fulfilled in life, which is most people, that's a big part of their story, is that we, we've we been built, whilst we think we are who we are and what, we're who we want to be, for the most part, what we are actually is a human that someone else built. Lots and lots of other people contributed to building us. I, I like to refer to the to a picture like a car production line, where you know, as, as the, the chassis of the car passes down the conveyor belt, there are all these different robots adding different parts, and some put a door on, and some put the wheels on. Well, that's basically us as we go through life. We, we meet different people. We have different influences in our lives, and they create this machine, which is... Which, you know, often it's in our 30s or 40s, we end up taking a step back and thinking, I'm not sure I wanted to be this version of who I am. And the work I do helps to strip all of that back and then to rebuild it in the version you want to be instead of what you were built to be. I love that. Yeah, I love the car analogy. I kind of use that a little bit. It's, it's a great way to, to like show, because I talk about like the cultural programming, the parental programming, the family programming and all these. Uh, my background originally when I was going to get in school was computer science, because again, my dad, again, influences, right? And I, and I, and I love how you brought that up, because I want to, I want to talk, just touch on that really quick, too. It's like, it is all subconscious. They're not doing this in the state of like, um, um, to control, but there are some parents who do. But most of the time, it's it's them thinking what they believe with all their resources and all their life that this may be the best thing for you. Because like my dad was always saying, computers, that's where the money is. Computers, that's where the money is. And so I was like, oh, I'll go on computers, fine. I built, I was already into them. I knew them really well. Um, and I was like, okay, I, can, I build computers for fun. So I was like, why not? This would be something that I may go into. Um, and then even when I decided to become a doctor, um, it was more of my choice now starting to figure out what I, who I want to become and how I want to live in my world. It was, uh, there was always still that resistance because he's like, you're going off on your own instead of working, go work with this person. You know, this doc, had, he got you into it, help work with him. And it was like, I want to live my vision. I want to live my truth, you know, and do what I do, what I, I think I should do. Um, and, and you get that. But the thing is, is, is it, it was coming from love. It was just his limited beliefs and fears were trying to be programmed into me if I allowed it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where I think sometimes we're, you know, as, as humans, we have to break away. But how hard is it for, you know, people listening to this going, well, how do I know if I'm programmed? How do I know that 
you know, is there cues that you're in your work and your history and everything you've done, are there like little cues to know that you're not truly um, living your truth? I like to say your truth or your life in the way you desire. Um, Besides, you know, is there emotions that show up? I mean, I know like depression is one of those and lack of lust of what you're, or not lust, um, lack of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not motivation, inspiration, but anyway, zest, zest in life. Um, are those some of the cues and, and how would you, how would you define all that? Yeah. So I, I, I think it instinctively the, the one I, I always go to is a feeling of like emptiness or a, a lack of fulfillment, a feeling of, is this all there is to it? You, you mentioned something before. It's something I come across a lot, especially in, in people who have achieved something that they would set out to achieve is reaching that point and thinking, is this it? Like it's you, you're probably aware of this, the, and your listener might be that it's quite common in sort of Olympic gold medalists. They win a gold medal. Someone puts a gold medal around the neck. And then once the national anthem's finished playing and they get off the podium and they go back into the dressing room, it's just like, and, and what happens now? I, I thought there'd be more than this. I thought there'd be, I thought something else would happen. I thought I would feel different. And that's what I come across a lot of, of people just sort of drifting feeling like there's, there must be something more to it than this. But interestingly, something that came up in my early therapy sessions when I first started trying to break this down was I think what most of us find because of the way we've been programmed as kids and we and most of us are raised as people pleasers to a certain degree, trying to please other people around us. And we're raised as though that's the most important thing, make everybody else happy, is that it can be difficult until you start get, really getting into this type of work to figure out, to know what you want. So I remember my therapist saying to me once, whenever I ask you anything, Paul, you, you talk about your wife or your mom or your family or your dad. He said, what do you want? And I remember thinking, I don't know. Like I, I, I'd spent so much of my life with all of this external programming that just sitting down and thinking, what do I really want? And I find that with people I coach, I'll often ask people a question. I did it with a, a guy I coach in Dubai a few months ago. And I asked him to just put all, all sorts of limiting beliefs to one side, pretend there is, there is nothing in his way. He could do anything he wanted to. He's got all the money he needs. And I want him to just tell me what his dream life would be. And he came back a week later. And as he read out what his apparent dream life was, his body language, his tone of voice, everything about it. I said to him, it sounds like you're reading out a shopping list. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like you're reading out your dream life. And it was because even when he was trying to do this as a, as a sort of imaginary exercise, he couldn't help but stop himself saying what he wanted and refer to other people all the time. So he might be thinking, I, you know, I, when, when we first started working together, he mentioned he wanted to be a DJ. But whenever he allowed himself to go down the route of, oh, I'd love to be a DJ, his programming from childhood and all the way through his life would say, well, you can't be a DJ because you've got a kid. You can't be a DJ because your mum and dad want you to be a chef. And all of these different things would come into play. So it can be, it, actually, it can actually can be quite difficult for people to identify intellectually whether or not they've had this program. And that's why I always try and bring people back to instinctively. Like how do you feel emotionally? Do you, without your brain getting involved and your ego and your intellect, trying to convince you that you're fine? Because that's what most egos will do. They'll say, no, 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 we've, we've chosen this life. 
how do you feel like when you're by yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror in your quietest most vulnerable moments if you're completely honest with yourself is this the life you want and if the answer to that isn't a resounding yes then the chances are you're living a life that's at least in part programmed by other people all right, everyone, we're going to take a break from the recording, but here is a word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Daily Climb Podcast, where we explore personal growth, mindset, and productivity strategies to help you pursue your passions. My name is Arielle, and I'm so passionate about helping young adults actually feel excited to wake up in the morning and to create the life of their dreams. So I want you to make sure that you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for tips and inspiration so that you can climb. I can't wait to see how you grow. All right, let's get back to the show. I love that. And I love how you bring up the emotional side to that, because I think that is the biggest key that a lot of times we neglect, like it, your mind can play so many games on you. It's one of those things where it's like you were saying, like, well, that's how I feel. But, you know, yeah, you know, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll try to um, um, give excuses or get, you know, try to just say, like, persuade yourself away from tapping into saying, maybe I should pay attention to this emotion. Why does it keep coming up? Right. Compared to um, like trusting that because of the emotions to me, I always I wrote a book called Rediscover Your Greatness. I talk a lot about that, where how your emotion are keys to know where you are. And I love also how you brought up um, the, the the story of where, you know, listening to the guy sharing the story. And sometimes it's like, dude, you're, you're just like a robot. You're just reading off a script. Yeah. You're not. Where's the passion? Where's the life? Where's that humanness in you of what you desire to enjoy? Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, for people who are like maybe listening to this and going, you know what, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel like I'm resonating with this message, but I just don't know how to figure out or tap in. I don't think there's really a figuring out you need, um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it's one of those things where it's like, how do we start that journey to really seek of what we really desire, what we want, things like that. So this, this is where it, 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 you know, I could try and sum it up what the reality is it, it, it's the book is 650 pages for, for a reason because it, it's a it's a it's a long process if you want to do it properly the the, the 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 basic answer to that is if someone said to me look we've got we've got a minute together tell me what i need to do my simple answer to it would be touching on what we've just been talking about sit in a quiet room by yourself away from everybody with a pen and paper and have a have a lighter near to you or a box of matches and somewhere safe you're allowed to set fire to it and write down on that piece of paper, telling yourself the absolute truth, what you want in your life. And don't be afraid. The reason I, I always say, I say about having the lighter or the box of matches is you can set fire to it once it's done in a very safe way. Don't, I don't want people complaining to me that the house burned down. So <laughs> if you're going to set fire to these things once you've done it, do it in a safe place outside if possible. But the, the point is, what will hold lots of people back? I've noticed it even with, you know, I'll get clients to do, to do writing exercises in their journal and things like that. And what's something that's come up over time is people still don't tell themselves the truth when they're writing something in a journal because they're worried their husband or their wife will see it or they're worried one of their kids will pick it up or their parents will see it. And the whole point of this exercise is stop lying to yourself. Most people, I went, I went on a course a few years ago. It had nothing to do with this world. It was about public speaking or something like that. But the guy made a comment I've, I've always remembered. And he said, most people already know what they want. They're just too afraid to say it out loud. 
And when they go to therapists and coaches and things like that, that's what the job of the coach or the therapist is, to help them to admit it to themselves. And I've seen that firsthand now. And when I look back at my old life, I think, yeah, I, I knew I knew for years I was unhappy in my career. I was just afraid to stop because of everything I'd already put into it. I knew for years I was unhappy in my old relationship, in my marriage, but I was too afraid to leave. And just admitting to ourselves, first and foremost, what we really, really want, if we're being honest with ourselves, can be a huge first step. And then from there, we can go, you know, then it's all about figuring out, well, why aren't we, why aren't we changing? What, what, if, what is the programming we've had from childhood that is stopping us doing what we really want to do with our life? And then we can pick all of that and go through the detail of it. But that, that first bit of being honest with yourself is huge. I love that. And how much does this stuff, you know, going down, you know, opening up and, and realizing that having these breakthroughs, uh, I may shift gears here a little bit because I know you, you talk a little bit about too, like how is it possible to heal from your book and stuff like that? And I'm, I'm curious, how is that possible for an individual um, to when you break through this and you start to express more of yourself and you choosing what you really want to do? Does that have any implications on your health? Oh, massively, massively. And there's, there's a reason, there's a whole chapter on this in the book, and there's a reason I leave it till the end of the book. And it's because when I start talking about this stuff to most people, it's the health side of things that because of the programming we've had from society, mainly over the, over the past hundred years, most people just very, struggle so much to, to tap into the health side of things. But the, the way I approach it is low... Most of the problems we we experience in adult life go back to childhood and repressed emotions. So we're taught from when we're very young to repress certain emotions, which the world describes as negative. And I, I don't call emotions positive or negative anymore because to me and all of the, the things I've learned, emotions are neutral. What There isn't a problem with our emotions. What the problem is is what we've been taught to think or feel about an emotion. So we've been taught that fear is bad. But the reality is fear isn't bad. If it wasn't for fear, we, our, our species wouldn't have survived this long. We, could, we would never have been able to experience love without fear and without anger and without anxiety. Those types of emotions kept us alive when there were you know, animals in the jungle trying to eat us every day. Without fear, we, we wouldn't have survived. And yet over the years, we've somehow come to view it as negative and label it as negative. But what that leads to is we subconsciously teach our children and teach each other to repress a huge part of us. That emotional repression filters into all of the problems in life in lots of different ways, and especially through health. So again, you know, go, go, going back hundreds of years, it, it was absolutely accepted that our body and our mind is part of the same system. And then it was in the 16th or 17th century that, that changed. There was a, there was a division in, in Western medicine that decided that the, the mind had nothing to do with the body. And I, I always say to people, back to the car analogy from before, imagine if you had a car with a, a complex onboard computer system, which most modern cars do. And imagine if that car had a problem and you took it to the garage, you took it to a mechanic and the mechanic said, there's nothing wrong. We've checked the entire car physically and there's physically nothing wrong with the car. If you said to the mechanic, well, isn't it the onboard computer system? Because doesn't, doesn't the onboard computer system run everything else? If that mechanic said to you, we don't check the onboard computer system, it's got nothing to do with the rest of the car. If, if that was the car you were talking about, nobody would accept that as an answer. 
especially if there were mechanics down the street who said, absolutely, it's something to do with the onboard computer system. You need, they, of course it is. The, the onboard computer system runs everything. So, of course, it has something to do with the physical operations of the car. If that was our car, we wouldn't accept it. Where we've got to with modern Western medicine is, for the most part, doctors and, and the pharmaceutical industry mainly are not interested in, in any connection between your mind and your emotions and your physical health. And there is a whole world out there, which I discovered about three, three four years ago now. There's a whole world out there of people who heal from illnesses that the Western medical world tell you you can't heal from. They tell you there's no cure. And just from a, even from a logical perspective, I always say to people, if you've got one doctor who is mainly based on the, in the pharmaceutical industry telling you that there's no cure for something, but he can give you drugs for the rest of your life that treat the symptoms, and you've got somebody else over here who tells you, no, you can treat it, and the treatment over here is pretty much free. It's all about what's going on inside your system, what's going on in the, on the onboard computer system, and you can heal. Isn't it at least worth listening to what this guy's got to say? Because there's nothing in it for him. He's not selling you any drugs. He's just giving you information. And it's incredible how, going back to programming, we've spent so many decades now being programmed with this Western medical way of thinking about our health that most people won't even open their mind to an alternative. But I've seen it firsthand. I've, I've healed myself from chronic illnesses. I've spoken to and witnessed and met many, many people who've done the same thing. And once I like to talk about life like it's like a, a long corridor in a hotel with doors on both sides. And what happens in life is you've been through, depending on how old you are, you've been through a certain number of those doors. So you know what's behind them. But every now and then you'll go through a new door and behind that, when you go through that door, it blows your mind because you realize there's millions of people through that door who've been there for decades and you just didn't know about it. That's what this world was for me. As soon as I came through this door, I was like, wow, how long has this been here? And it, go, it literally goes back decades and, and it's actually supported by science and studies that there's a, there's a pretty famous doctor in this space called Dr. Gabor Mate, who's a, an author as well. And I, was, I watched a documentary with him a few weeks ago, and he said a really good line, which is in the book, um, something along the lines of, it's despite the evidence, not, in, not because of a lack of it that we practice the way we do. The evidence that supports healing yourself without pharmaceutical intervention is just not commonly advertised. Yeah, and it's you, you're speaking to a chiropractor, so I, I get everything you're saying, and 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 it's it's amazing how we continue to neglect other. And I say we, I say the the the, the status quo neglects that, uh, or the mainstream of all this. Um, these other things, these other stories, like why not look into them? Why not um, take a peek, right? Because there's and it's not like this is woo woo stuff. My background's a chiropractor, but it's also energy medicine. I've been a Reiki master and trainer. I've studied uh, various. I when I got into chiropractic school, I was taking many workshops and learning all that I can on health. I want. I didn't care what it was. I'm learning it, even if it's way out there. And it was amazing to meet doctors and and other practitioners who would talk about like, here's a grapefruit size uh, tumor. And here's when they did the test and they're going to do, they looked at it, they found it, they knew they had to do surgery. And the day before the surgery, they go and do the test and this person has done some work and it's not there anymore. And the doctors will be like, 
yeah, that was just, we messed up. It was a spontaneous thing. We, we missed <laughs> it. It, it, it. It wasn't what it is. And it's amazing. Like I, I have even a patient I'm working with who uh, he, she, she had breast cancer um, and she was going to go no chemo, but then doctors are very good at throwing at fear, you know, and the husband's like, Hey, maybe we should do this. We have three kids, you know, let's just, this, they're telling us this is how it can help. So she ended up going down that route. But I told her, I said, we'll work with this. We're going to help you. We'll, we'll cleanse it out. We'll minimize the effects. We'll do this. We'll do that. Here's all the strategies we can do. And long story short, she goes for her six month checkup and they're like, I can't believe how good you're doing. Like they're astounded by how well she's responding, how amazing, how energetic she is. She's running almost every day. Her, her whole life is, is, is they're just like, this doesn't happen. Even at three months, they were kind of saying, there's no way you should be feeling that good. This is kind of like, you should, there, there's, how is this happening? Right. But then they'll just say, ah, maybe it's just you. And that's all it is. <laughs> right. And it's like, hold on here. We have a system in place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds sounds like we could talk about this by itself for hours. I, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It's I often talk to, talk to people about the about the placebo, the placebo effect. Like you, when people don't know what that is, it's like there's a in very basic terms. And you correct me if, if my summary is wrong. But you've got you've got a study group. We're, we're trying to prove this drug that we've created that we're going to sell for lots of money is it is powerful and it and should be approved so we're going to have two groups of people we're going to have 100 people in each group and we're going to give half the people the new drug and we're going to give half the people a sugar pill placebo and no one's going to know what they had and then at the end of the whole study the short version is we say the people who look at this the people who took the drug 70 percent of them got better and in the other group, only 30% of them got better. So the, the conclusion in, our, in the world we live in is we should sell the drug. And I said, but just pause for a second. And, and I, imagine if you spoke to someone who's running that study. I said, but what about the, what about the other group? 30% of people in that group got better just because you told them they were going to get a drug. They didn't get a drug. You just told them they were going to get one. And the answer to that is, oh, that's just the placebo effect. Don't worry about it. I'm <laughs> like... What do you mean that's just the placebo effect? If we lived in a world where money wasn't a thing, that would be the group we would study because everybody would want to put all the time and energy into figuring out why 30% of this group just healed just by believing they would heal. That is a miracle. So why aren't we putting all of our time and energy into that side? And that this might be the cynical side of me, but my very simple conclusion to that is it doesn't make any money. If if you can tell everybody they can get better by thinking differently and eating more carrots, there are, there's lots of people who make far less money in the world. You know, and this is kind of the work I get into when I do coaching uh, for entrepreneurs is that I talk a lot about your attention to focus too, because placebo, and then there's and then there's also the nocebo effect, which is the opposite of the placebo that states that, well, if you think something negative or you think this is going to create ill on you, there's a really good chance that you can create that. And they've done a lot of studies on that too. And yeah, yeah. same same results, just the opposite. It's kind of cool how this works. And it's interesting because then I look at in life, right? What you look at, and this is, comes from quantum physics and the observer effect or quantum mechanics and the observer effect is that, you know, what you, how you look at something is what's going to manifest in the reality. And they've done studies on this where they've looked at like the benefits of coffee, right? Some people say you can go Google coffee right now. And listeners, if you're listening to this, you can Google this, the positive benefits of coffee. You'll get a whole list of it. You'll have research articles and studies and all this extensive stuff on there, right? 
You can flip the page and say, okay, negative effects of coffee. Guess what? Studies, research, articles, same thing, right? Yeah. And so then, then I was like, oh man, you know, this is interesting that we're coming to a place in science where it's like, you can find both sides. And then they did a study where they said, okay, we're going to take a group of people who think coffee is absolutely amazing for you. We'll test them and we'll see after a certain period of time, what's the results they get through blood work and things like that. And then they did another group who was not going, who said coffee isn't good for you. And then they did all the blood work and the same thing. Long story short, the results were the ones who thought coffee was positive and healthy. Guess what happened to them? Everything was, they had positive results to their health while the yeah. ones that were negative had the negative results. So going back to what you were talking about, right, the mind and understanding and tapping into that a little bit more, um, if, if we do that, it's a game changer. We start to shift things. Yeah. But Absolutely. it's, uh, but they, and again, I can go more down this path, but uh, I'll, I'll, I got some other questions to dive into here. So, but it's one of the things then, so we talked a little bit about health. We talked about some of the journey and programming and things like that in life uh, of how we're cultured or our or, or, or culture and so forth. Um, does that. Um, one last, you know, a couple things I have here is, you know, how then doing this kind of work, uh, I have a statement that I say a lot, and that is, we need more people to shine their light into the world, because that's what the world needs. And that's how we transform the world. With all that you've taught all in your book and everything, how can the work that you've done and you teach and you share helping individuals, how can we change the world from that? Well, in, in very basic terms, what, what I see as the root of everything, if I, if I have to sum it up, is all of the problems we face in life, in childhood, lead to us having low self-worth, low self-esteem, ultimately the feeling that we are not good enough as humans. And that leads us to create, there's, there's loads we could go into this, but we end up creating different parts of our own personalities, multiple personalities within our own systems, we create these huge egos that are then what's operating in the world. So what we see, generally speaking, in the in the world in which we live, are people being run by their egos because of low self worth. So we we think we think we're not good enough, and we therefore, instead of operating from who we are truly meant to be, which is full of love and vulnerability and uh, humility, we have the opposite end of the spectrum and. The sad thing about the world we've created and the societies we've built, going back to what we talked about right at the start of the conversation, is we've built societies that value materialistic possessions and financial success, in inverted commas, above all else. And what that means is often the people that we celebrate the most in our societies can often be the people with the most problems. We just don't see that up front. We often see it further down the line. And I, it often amazes me that we'll still celebrate certain people as as a way and hold them on a pedestal, a pedestal as something to aspire to be. So to become successful in a certain profession, sport, entertainment industry, this is who you need to be like. Even though we know now that their personal life, whilst they were achieving this, whatever it was, Oscars or world championships or financial wealth, their personal life was an absolute mess. It was a shit show. And I often say to people now, look, you know, we, you want to achieve success in inverted commas. Well, what do we mean? What what is it we're trying to do in life? Where where are we trying to get to? We, you and I have both shared a very similar story, and and most people I know share the same story, which is 
we followed the path that everybody told us we should follow in life. And when we got to where we, told, we were told we should be to be happy, not only were we not happy, we were completely miserable, often depressed, sometimes suicidal, completely unfulfilled. And yet we carry on with the same society. We carry on with the same uh, way of living. And the work I do is to help people rebuild their own self-worth, their own self-esteem, so they get to a place where they feel good enough. What that means is one person at a time, we change the world because that one person then, instead of operating from a place of ego, operates from who they're truly meant to be. They are at peace. They stop judging themselves. They stop judging other people. Very much people who've been down this path, in my experience, have a live and let live type attitude. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, crack on with your life, do what, do whatever you want. And for me, that's when I look back at my old life and think how when I wanted to change the world and when I see people in the public, I want to change the world. What they It's often coming from a place of ego. And what they mean is I want to change the world and I want to get credit for it. And what I've, the conclusion I've come to over the past few years is that's never worked. It's never worked in the past. It's unlikely to ever work. How we really change the world is one person at a time. So you change your own life. You do, forget everybody else. Do the work on your own life to repair your issues, to repair your self-esteem, to make sure you feel good enough, to live the life that you're truly meant to be living. Something you just mentioned then, shine your own light into the world. You focus on doing that first, and then you help one other person do that. If everybody did that, we would change the world because you would get viral growth. That's I used to, as well as my law firm, I, I've had the online businesses in the past, and I studied social media companies, and I had an online gaming company at one point, so I, knew, I learned all about how they grow and how they work. And that's how viral growth works, literally. You, you just need one person to sign up, and you need that one person to get one more person. And if you've got that, or anything above that, you get viral growth. If we did that with this type of work across the globe, things would change really quickly because all of a sudden we would get the opposite of the world that we see online. Like if, if you want to see the opposite of, often I say to people the best way to describe something is to show its opposite. If you want to see the opposite of what I'm talking about, just go on Twitter. Twitter is the absolute opposite of what I'm talking about. It is just a load of egos shouting at each other thinking that they're right, calling each other names from a place of insecurity and low self-esteem and fear most of the time, no balance, no very little reasonableness, um, lots of judgments, lots of finger pointing. We would re completely reverse that, but we do it, the way to do it in my view is to do it one person at a time, starting with ourselves. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. Uh, it is so true. I, I was that one person too, says I'm going to come out and heal the world when I was coming out of chiropractic school. And uh, after hitting a lot of walls with my stubborn mind, I started to realize, hold on, wait a minute, I'm doing this all backwards. And uh, it is so true. We have to start with the individual. If we can light up one, then another, then another. And that's eventually how we can light up the world. Um, appreciate you, my friend. Uh, before we go, how can people connect with you? Um, find your book, the, the, the Bible you have written, my friend. I love this. Uh, and I, don't, I mean that in a good, a good way. So for the listeners, me hearing me say that, I, I think that's just absolutely amazing. Um, um, for your book, how to follow you on so, and, and social media, anything like that. So for the book itself, my, as I said earlier, the, my, my aim is to get this out to as many people as I possibly can. 
for as low a cost as possible. I just want to get the information out there to people who might not see see this information or see it presented in this way. So I give away the first four chapters completely for free so people can read it, listen to it, decide if they like it before they invest any more time or money in it. And you can go to, so if you go to my website, which is my name, Paul, P-A-U-L, the number seven, cope, C-O-P-E, dot com slash forward slash free chapters, uh, you can download the first four chapters for free if that signs you up to my mailing list. But if you, once you've read them or listened to them, if you don't want to hear from me ever again, you can unsubscribe from that list and there are no questions asked. There's a, you know, no data stored, no, no strings. This, this is all about getting the information out to as many people as I can. Um, and then on top of that, I, I've, I put out as much free content as I can online. So you can follow me at Paul7Cope, P-A-U-L, number seven, Cope, C-O-P-E, on all of the social media platforms. Um, and there's a YouTube show and podcast. Same thing, free content to, to help as many people as I can. Love that, brother. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate all that you're doing. The world needs this kind of work. Uh, to really level up, especially during these times. And uh, appreciate you taking your time to be with us here on the Mindful Experiment to share with the listeners and everyone else. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. 